It's Vision Sunday. Today is the day where we look back on God's faithfulness, what he's been doing here at Bethany, through Bethany. Uh, if you look back on this year, and I hope you do on those, in those packets, you'll see a lot of things that God has been doing. He's been, he's been retooling us. He, we redid our constitution back in January. We now have a team of elders here, which we praise God for. We had the opportunity to pray for several different people, even this morning. Uh, the shepherding work is going on. That is a beautiful thing. Uh, the ministry here is being fortified. We hired a new principal. Uh, we're seeing good things happen in our academy, in our preschool, facility-wise. Maybe you've seen these weird spaceship-looking white things around the campus. We've got now security campus, uh, security cameras that are making this campus more secure, which is very, very important. Uh, revitalizing stuff is happening all over the place, but, but most exciting for me is uh, the revi revitalization that the Lord is doing in my heart and hopefully your heart as he, he zeroes us in on our mission, our mission to be for the glory of God, the good of his people, that we are all about sharing the hope, speaking the truth, serving our king. We're about making disciples. In a world where there are so many distractions out there, there's so many ways to get sidelined and be all about this or all about that or all about the other thing, God keeps calling us back to his word where he says, be all about me and lead people to be all about me. And it, what, a, what a, a huge, incredible thing it is to, to be a part of that and to be a part of a body, a fellowship like this one where we come together and we say, yes, exactly that. Uh, we, I was looking at what, what to preach today. Do you preach a special message on Vision Sunday? Well, all the messages are special, right? And then you got to ask yourself, is God really sovereign? Is he really in control? Has he been leading us exactly where he wants us to go? And you start looking at what the passage would be if this wasn't Vision Sunday, and you go, exactly that. That's where we're at today, Acts chapter 4. Would you open your Bibles with me? We're going to walk through this just like we did last week. This is actually part two of the message that we started last week. Last Sunday, we saw that as a people who have been called out of darkness into the kingdom of light and commissioned to be witnesses of Jesus Christ to the end of the earth, it's crucial that we not be silent God's people need to be ready. In fact, they need to be intentional about speaking the truth. We must not ignore difficult conversations, right? We must not ignore controversial conversations. On the contrary, we should follow the example of guys like Peter and John and use the opportunities that we have even those collision point moments in life where everyone's wondering, what's going on? They've got all kinds of questions. To speak up and speak truth, proclaiming especially the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what Peter and John were doing last week. They were proclaiming in the temple courtyards to people who were wondering, what's going on here? This man couldn't walk for 40 years, and now he's walking. Not only is he walking, he's leaping, he's jumping, he's praising God. What's going on? And that's where Peter opens up his mouth and proclaims truth. But you know, it's one thing to proclaim truth 
to a large crowd. It's a sea of faces. I know some people are deathly afraid of public speaking. <laughs> I'm right there too, actually. Uh, but the, but it's, it's so much easier when there's a sea of faces, all these faces. You don't know who to concentrate on. You're just speaking to a mass of people. You're just speaking to the crowd. It's another thing to speak to a smaller group of people where you know they have the opportunity to ask questions afterwards and they can give you those looks of, Huh? Or, huh? or whatever it is, that's, that makes you a little more nervous, make me a little bit more nervous with a smaller group. And yet it's another thing when you find yourself with the opportunity to speak truth in the face of those who hold positions of power. When, when the powers that be threaten punishment, if you continue speaking, will we comply? That's a question that's fresh in our minds uh, following the recent years of lockdowns and mask mandates and vaccine mandates. We've asked all kinds of questions. We've, what do we do when the government tells us to do this or, or not do that? Do we, do we just, just obey? Do we have the right to ask questions? Do, does being subject to every human institution, like Peter told us in 1 Peter... Does, does that mean absolute obedience to any of those authorities that are over us, even when they're acting unjustly? Or what about when they're, they're not following their own rules, their own guidelines? What about when decisions that are being made, they aren't in line with, with the data that's being collected? What do we do then? But what concerns us this morning is, is this. How should members of Christ's kingdom People who have been commissioned to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, how should they respond when the nations wage war against them and the work to which they are called? How, how should Christians respond when the nations direct their rage against the kingdom of God? Acts chapter 4, verse 1, says this. And as they were speaking to the people, that's James, uh, Peter and John. As Peter and John were speaking to the people in the temple courtyard. Again, this is a continuation of where we were at last week. It says, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So just in case you missed last Sunday's message, or you were there in last Sunday's message, and it gave you this feeling of um, invincibility, <laughs> speak the truth. We're called to speak the truth. I will speak the truth. Like marching forward, going forward, speaking this Bold message, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Let's go, people. But it's not a risk-free job, is it? There's a sobering reality that we have to face here that is right here in this passage. And we got to let it sink in a little bit. And that's where you ask yourselves, is this really what I signed up for? Will I go that far? 
What are the costs? Even before Peter and John were finished speaking to the crowd, the law showed up. Is there a problem, officer? Oh, I've, uh, I've been in those situations before, uh, back in my day. Uh, I've had some run-ins. Uh, you know, back at the, uh, in the backfield of the local college campus, launching uh, model rockets with my dad, and the law shows up. Oh, that did not feel good. There was that other time when I took the youth group down to Salt Creek Beach, and we were ice blocking down that beautiful grass hill, and the officer showed up. Can you come over here, sir? Is there a problem, officer? Or there was the time uh, just this past Monday when the law showed up at, at my uh, curb and said, why is your car parked here at Street Sweeper Day? Here's a little piece of paper for you. Let's respond to this. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like being in trouble. And, and maybe, maybe it's because I'm, I'm, I'm the firstborn and, and I just don't, I, I don't like being told what to do. I've always been told, you be the example. And so when I feel like I'm failing at that, that kind of rubs the wrong way. Or maybe it's because I just feel like the decisions that I make are, are right and everyone else just doesn't understand. They need to get on board with the way I think. I'm in trouble? Really? Me? Really? Or maybe, you're probably asking yourself, maybe, Jared, it has to do with your pride. Maybe you're just you're an egomaniac, and you just don't want to be wrong. Well, yeah, that's probably true, too. I hate being in trouble. Do you? I know there are some people out there who actually like being in trouble, and they instigate. I actually have a brother like that, uh, but not me. I hate being in trouble. So when I read this passage, these guys are doing what God called them to do, speaking the word boldly. And they're interrupted in the process. Verse 1 says, the priests, the captain of the temple guard, the Sadducees came upon them. It's, like, it's almost like they descended, right? But all of a sudden, the crowd just fades into the background as power pushes its way into the inner circle. Three, three, three different types of people here. They're the priests. They're the ones who were on duty to perform various roles so that the temple worship can, can go off without a hitch. There were 24 different groups of priests, and so they would be on rotation, and they'd be looking forward to their time to get up and to actually lead the people of Israel in worship. This was a big deal. They probably weren't very happy when all of a sudden the worship going on that evening was interrupted. Then there was a captain of the temple guard. He would have been like the chief of police for the temple area. This was a man who was responsible for keeping the peace. You had a lot of people showing up to worship at the temple day in and day out. This was a very big responsibility. It's understandable why he would have shown up. A, a, a situation that is this disruptive to the temple, you got the big dog showing up. Then there were the Sadducees, the religious leaders. They were the political elites in Israel at that time. There were the Pharisees, there were Essenes, there were the Zealots, and then there were the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were like the aristocratic crowd. They were the people with the money. They were the people with the land. They were the people with the power. In fact, under the, the Romans, there was no higher authority here than the, the Sadducees over the Jewish people. It was the Romans who allowed the Sadducees to operate. And so the Sadducees wanted to maintain a good relationship with the Romans so it wouldn't jeopardize their power and it wouldn't jeopardize all of their wealth and their land and all of that. But even though they held the dominant religious 
position in Jerusalem and in, in, in the Jewish religious system, spirituality was not their thing. In fact, they didn't believe in spiritual things like the resurrection, life after death. We don't, we don't buy that stuff. And eternal consequences, eternal rewards, no, no, we're not into that. We're not into demons. We're not into angels. We're not even into this idea that God is in control of all things. Instead, we're about what's practical. We're about leading you to obey the tenets of the law. And so you can probably tell just by, just by talking about these different players here that there's, there's obvious reasons why these people who came out to play weren't very happy. Services are disrupted. No, that's not good. Abnormal excitement in the courtyard. People are running. Crowds are forming. There's this guy who's acting like a maniac. He's running. He's jumping. He's leaping. He's praising God. This is stuff that's not supposed to happen in the temple. <laughs> Two men telling the crowd that the Romans and the religious leaders of Israel, that they are guilty of crucifying Israel's Messiah. And then they're insisting that he rose from the grave. We don't believe that. We don't buy that stuff. And you're also saying that these people who have come to worship in the temple faithfully day in, day out, that they're wicked? I don't think so. These men came upon them. The word here uh, indicates a rather aggressive, sudden, possibly hostile arrival. This was not a friendly visit. Like the way the officer came down on me at Salt Creek in the midst of all the youth group kids, all the high school and junior high kids sliding happily down the hill. And the officer comes up and you see that look on his face and you know he means business. He wasn't just upset that he didn't get a ride on the ice block. I remember thinking, seriously, buddy, you, I, didn't, I didn't say any of this. You're going to... You're upset that a church group is here, just having some good old-fashioned... We're not doing drugs. We're just having fun. We're not protesting. We're not playing loud music. We're not disturbing the peace, maybe the lawn. Maybe we should have known better, but we didn't. These men in the temple, they, they meant business. Oh, they meant business. Verse 2 tells us that they were greatly annoyed for the very same reasons that we would assume they would be. These men find it very upsetting that Peter and John are telling people that resurrections can and that a resurrection has happened and that Jesus Christ is behind all of that. How dare they perpetuate this idea that Jesus has been resurrected? How dare they lead people to believe that he is the Messiah? That's a direct assault on our leadership. That's a sinister undermining of our authority. After all, we determine rightly, justly, and fairly that Jesus should be put to death. How dare they? And so seeing the crowd and having heard the message, probably deducing that a lot of these people are buying into what these, these two fishermen are, are selling here, they say we got to do something. And they arrest Peter and John, and they hold them overnight because it's, it's already late in the day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that scene? The powers that be acting outrightly in opposition to the proclamation of the kingdom of God. One commentator 
writes that this is one of the great examples of how a party of men, in order to retain their vested interests, would not themselves listen to the truth or give anyone else a chance to hear it. Now, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, someone would say, well, you know, that was, that was back then. Things like that don't happen now. We're, we're pretty safe here in the United States of America. Yeah, maybe a few years ago. But anyone who knows where things have been heading lately, when we see self-interested parties shouting disinformation, when we see the most powerful forces in our nation threatening fines or destroying reputations, blacklisting, forcing compliance in schools and businesses, turning a blind eye to acts of violence against voices with whom they disagree. Something like this seems more than just a remote possibility. Arrested for speaking the name of Jesus, arrested for declaring what is true, arrested for bearing witness to what you have experienced. You're just bearing witness. And David asks in Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's prophetic of Jesus. Saying, let's burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. They're just holding us down. They're just holding us back. And we need to get rid of them, the nations say. That's exactly what we see going on here in Acts chapter 4. We see the beginnings of the nations raging in opposition to God and, and Jesus, his Messiah. And here in 2022, do we see the beginnings of it? A free world. The free world. <laughs> Beginning to demonize people who have pledged allegiance to Jesus and living by his word. The nations rage. We're called to be witnesses. But the nations rage against our God and his exclusive means of salvation. We've received power to proclaim the mighty works of God in Jesus Christ, but those in power setting themselves up in defiance to any who would cast a dark light on their authority or wisdom to rule. How should Christians, this is the question, how should Christians respond when the nations rage against them and their God? This is what we got to look forward to. This is our glorious future. How those who have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ walk faithfully through the days ahead. We don't know exactly what those days are going to look like, but we need to know how to respond regardless of what they look like. Four simple observations that I like to make from Acts 4 here. And I believe they cast a vision for us for the days ahead. Is how the, how the people of God march forward in the name of the risen king. This is a vision for us, Bethany. It's a call for us, Bethany. Let's watch and see where Peter, what Peter and John do. And also what they don't do is they walk into this very intense moment here. Look at verse 5. It says, on the next day. Their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas 
and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now, if you, if you want to know afterwards, there, there's some, uh, some small controversy about who Caiaphas is, who Annas is, and why Luke gives Annas this certain title here. Uh, we could talk about that after. What concerns us this morning is, is, is what the, these people being brought before them to this almost like supreme court of the land. The high court of the land is there the big dogs have showed up, and they are giving attention to something that they think is a very big deal. Was this overkill? Was this extremism? Was this a severe overreaction? It, it kind of appears that way. And if we, we, this morning, had the police show up and were dragged from this place and hauled into court, we would, we would have a certain level of outrage. The first observation that I'd like to make here is that with the arrest of Peter and John, it's not so much what they did, it's what they don't do, what you don't see them doing in their response to this arrest. Notice that Luke doesn't record any acting out in defiance. He doesn't tell us that they were kicking and screaming as they were arrested, nor did they try to rile the crowd. They had the attention of the crowd. Thousands of people right there, they had commanded the crowd how easy it would have been for them to say, hey, do you see what these guys are doing? How unjust this is, how wrong this is. We don't see that. These guys knew their mission, and they were doing exactly what Jesus had called them to be doing. They're being shut down for it. And yet we, what we read here and in the verses that follow is that Peter and John remain absolutely dignified and composed throughout the whole arrest. There's a quick point to be made here, but it's a valuable one. When the nations rage, Christ's witnesses, they need to conduct themselves with honor. With honor. Some might protest and say, well, well, how do you know? You're just, you're, just, you're just extrapolating here. You're just assuming that these guys weren't doing this. Maybe it just, just didn't get recorded here. How do you know that Peter and John would want their followers, would want fellow Christians to behave in this way? I know it because I've read his letter. We all read his letter. We just went through 1 Peter and Peter commands Christians who are living in days of persecution to live in exactly the same way. He writes in 1 Peter 2.12, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You skip over to verse 16. And Peter writes, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And you say, why should, why should we live like this? Why should we conduct ourselves honorably uh, when people are lashing out against us, when they're treating us unfairly, when they're seeking to punish, punish us for doing the very things that God is calling us to do? Because you're not a member of that old kingdom anymore, are you? You've been brought out of darkness 
and into the king's marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. When you step out into the world now, when I step out into the world now, as dark and as corrupt as it may be, we're no longer representing just ourselves, are we? We're no longer free agents. We're no longer like, like uh, mercenary soldiers. All we have to worry about is our own reputation. We, we don't represent anybody else. No, you're now a servant. You're now a soldier. You're now an ambassador of God. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And so when you step out your door, the way that you look, the, 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 the words that you say, everything about you is not just reflecting you. It's reflecting your maker and your savior. And that means when you're frustrated, those words that come out of your mouth, whether they're one, two, three, four, five, six, seven letters, whatever they may be, they all bear witness. When, when people offend you, when they use you, when they intentionally attack you, the way that you respond tells them something about the Savior you depend on and the Lord to whom you owe your allegiance. The days that we find ourselves living in now, they are disturbing and they are distressing. And unless the, the Lord works powerfully through his people to speak truth and, and, and works in his Holy Spirit, calls those who are out there perpetuating darkness to repent, it, it may get worse. But regardless of what he sovereignly allows in our future, his witnesses must conduct themselves honorably. Does that mean laying down? Does, does that mean just letting evil run its course? Does it mean just quietly standing out of the way, embracing this fatalist mentality and refusing to take a stand for what is right? Absolutely not. Peter and John don't do that. But as we'll see, even as they continue to boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus, they do so in a way that brings no shame upon their king. The Supreme Court of the day asks, by what power or by what name did you do this? Essentially, they're saying, hey, can you repeat what you were saying in the temple yesterday? For the record. And that's when Peter opens up his mouth again. Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man has been healed... Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved." We talked about what it means to be filled with the Spirit several weeks ago. It means a lot less, uh, it's a lot less about doing miraculous things, and it's a whole lot more about courageously speaking truth 
on behalf of God's kingdom. If ever there was a moment that courage was needed, it was right before this high court of the land. (laughs) Want to know the difference that the Spirit made in Peter? Well, all you have to do is look back to Luke chapter 22, 54 to 62, where Peter, he's identified as one of the guys that hung around Jesus. Insignificant people came up to him and said, hey, weren't you? There was a servant girl that came up to him, weren't you? He said, no way. (laughs) Courage? I don't see it there. Something else is happening here, though. Like we noticed last week, Peter speaks up in front of the crowd. Spirit-empowered witnesses. They're not to hem and haw about truth. They're, They're not to cower in the corner or change the conversation. To fall back to talk about, uh, hey, did you see the game last night? <laughs> or, or talk about work, or talk about the weather, or any other water cooler conversations. No, Christians speak up, and they speak out. And they instinctively look for opportunities to testify to what is true, right, and good. When the nations rage, Christ's witnesses, they seize opportunities to speak truth. Notice here in Acts 4 that there's no regard for self-preservation. There's not even a hint of it in what Peter says here. No indication of compromise either. The message that Peter gives these men, the high court, is no less pointed than the one he gave the crowd. In fact, it's actually more pointed and more confrontational and every bit as much filled with hope. First of all, he declares that the miracle, it was done in Jesus' name. Jesus of Nazareth, that place where nobody comes from. He again makes the accusation, you are all the ones who crucified Jesus. You're the guilty party. God, on the other hand, raised him from the dead. This was, in fact, the Messiah. You killed the Messiah. But God actually raised him from the dead. And did you see the evidence that he's powerfully working? The inference from that would be, you better watch out. He quotes Psalm 118.22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That means the building that God was erecting here, the, 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 the promise, the hope of Israel, it rests upon a foundational element that they discarded. These religious elites, they thought they were the foremen on the project. They thought that they were making progress on God's monument by keeping his people in line. They thought that they were doing uh, God a favor when they got this Jesus blasphemer out of the way and they crucified him. They were dead wrong. What kind of guts does that take? To say something like that. To, in the face of people who have the, 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 they had the power to send Jesus to the Romans to be crucified. Do you not think they have the same power to do the same for you? What kind of guts does that take? I don't think it takes guts. Maybe absolute foolishness. But not guts. But it does take the power of the Holy Spirit working powerfully in the lives of believers. Should Christians call out the evils that they see being committed in their world? If Acts 4 tells us anything, I think the answer is is yes. 
Should they aggressively take hold of opportunities to declare what may be unpopular or considered politically incorrect or accusatory or possibly even hateful? Well, if it's in line with God's word and, and you can speak it with a clear conscience and in an honorable manner in Jesus' name, then yes. Even, perhaps especially, when the nations rage, rage, Christ's witnesses seize opportunities to speak the truth. But, but there's something very, very important that we need to notice here that's very, very clarifying and will, will separate some of the conversation that you see happening in our world from the way we should be making conversation. Notice that that truth here in Acts, it wasn't merely the proclamation of all that was wrong with these leaders. It wasn't just judgment, condemnation, you better watch out. No, it was inseparably connected to the message of hope the message of the gospel. Yeah, even to these threatening, deceived, hate-filled accusers, Peter still holds out the invitation to repent and be saved through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 12. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's such a great tendency these days for those who are disgusted with so many of the evils that are being pushed out there upon us in our world, preached to us. There's such a temptation to just proclaim right back at them a singular proclamation of condemnation. All too eager to point out the horrors. Name names of those who have embraced a spirit that is really a spirit of antichrist, and damn them to hell. But it's crucially important that those who have been called out of darkness as Christ's ambassadors, it's crucially important that they faithfully bear witness to the complete message of the gospel. They need to have ever-present in their minds that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Peter and John, they speak the whole truth in the presence of the Sanhedrin, and it left these men just scratching their heads. It says this in verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What should we do with these men? For that a notable, notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We can't deny it. But in order that may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them, charged them, not to speak or teach at all in Jesus' name. Nothing's really changed, has it? 
when those in power, when they feel threatened and when they cannot find a valid argument to defend their position, what is the fallback? The fallback is shut the conversation down. We're all too familiar with that these days. The social reforms rage on. Warped ideologies are, are pushed into the mainstream. They attempt to shut down anyone who may object. They do it with different tactics, with shame, with legislation, even threats of violence. Controlling the world is about controlling information, is it not? You control the information, you get, can get people to believe just about anything you want them to believe and do just about anything you want them to do. It's not anything new. Ask our parents, ask our grandparents, some who've lived through World War II, rise of Hitler in Germany, a church that was checked out and mostly bought out by the state, and a message that slowly blinded minds and turned hearts of the people. And some of the greatest atrocities in human history were committed. But you know, it goes a lot further back than that. It goes all the way back to the very beginning, and it's a problem that lies deep within every human heart. The Apostle Paul calls it out in the very first chapter of his book to the Romans. He writes, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And you know, the problem with human hearts is not that they don't recognize the truth. It's not that they don't see it. It's not that they aren't aware of it. It's that they don't want it and they don't like it. And so what we do in our raging against God is to suppress it. Let's hide it. Let's push it into the closet. It should come as no surprise to us, then, how important it is that we boldly declare Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. As the nations rage, the battle is fought, not by God's people simply playing nice and just hiding in the background. We conduct ourselves honorably, yes, absolutely. We represent Christ. But we must not neglect opportunities to speak truth. And we must never forget that speaking truth is not just about speaking condemning words. And it's not just about getting people to color in certain lines. It's about inviting them to faith in Jesus. The raging nations, they will rage. They will seek to suppress the truth. The Supreme Court told them, don't speak the truth. Don't teach at all in the name of Jesus. And that, of course, is when Peter and John said, oh, there it is. Okay, I guess we are going to have to back down, and I guess we are going to have to just... Let them do their thing because we have to obey everything that they tell us. No. First Peter chapter 2 is in no way a blanket statement binding Christians to absolute obedience to every human institution. It's just not. In fact, Peter gives a qualifier right there in 1 Peter 2.12. He says, for the Lord's sake, it's impossible to do something for the Lord's sake that is in direct conflict with the commands of the Lord. 
No, when there's any question as to whether or not action should be done in obedience to God or in obedience to the powers that be, God must win every time. And that's why when the nations rage, Christ witnesses, they obey their king. This is what we do, what we have to do, what we must do, what we've been set free in Christ to do. You and I may have social security cards and we may pledge allegiance to the flag We may have certain obligations as citizens of this nation, but we have a citizenship and allegiance that supersedes all of that. And that is why when we are compelled to do or not do anything that would compromise our faithful obedience to our king, our answer must be, I'm sorry, we cannot comply. And that's why we have verse 19. Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I read something rather convicting just this past week, and I think it's important for us Christians here in 2022. Listen to what one commentator writes here. He says, ironically, the early believers had to be commanded to be quiet. Well, many modern ones have to be commanded to speak. This was an important crossroads in the history of the church. Had the apostles acquiesced to the Sanhedrin's demands, all subsequent church history would have been radically different. Everything hinged on their willingness to obey God at all costs, even their lives. Obedience matters, does it not? Even when the nations rage, Christ witnesses must obey their king. And in the case of Peter and John here in Acts 4, declaring their allegiance to God, thankfully for them, it didn't come with immediate consequences. Verse 21 says, when they, when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all, their, for, for all were praising God for what had happened, for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This was an obvious miracle. They they couldn't take the the punishment of Peter and John any further than just having an initial arrest and questioning. This, of course, was just a temporary stay so that Peter and John could go out and continue the work for the allotted time that God had given them to be proclaimers of the gospel. As we make that decision to obey God, obey God rather than men, we do have to recognize, though, that it may come with a heavy price, price tag. And yet we can rest assured it will be worth it. Finally, one last thing, one, one very important thing here. When the nations rage, Christ's witnesses, they gather to pray. Let me just read you what, what happens next here. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus 
whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan and predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their hearts and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Will you stretch out your hand to, do, to heal and, and, and signs and wonders and, and, and are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus? And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Don't, don't, don't miss this. As the nations rage, it's so important that God's people continually come back together with other believers. The tactic would be isolate them, keep them in their homes, keep them separate, don't let them talk to each other, hinder it as much as you possibly can. God's people need to come back together. It says that Peter and John, they went to their friends. That doesn't mean to the 5,000 men plus women plus children. It doesn't mean that massive church that was being formed there. It doesn't necessarily mean that. Nor does it necessarily mean that it was just limited to the 120 believers who were there right at the beginning, right at, on the day of Pentecost. We don't know who the friends were that are listed here. But once again, we see evidence that there is a devotion to the fellowship of believers. They weren't going it on their own. They knew they could not go in on their own. And what is it that they pray when they gather together? That's what I want to look at. They gather together and they pray. First, they recognize God is the sovereign Lord. The, the word used for is, is this word, it's like a word for a despot. He is, he is completely in control. There's nothing that exists beyond his reach, nothing out of his control. He's the creator of everything. Nothing happens outside of his purposes. When the heat gets turned up, it can be so easy to give way to panic, so easy to give way to fear, but Christians need to come together and remind themselves all the time, our God is in control. Our God is sovereignly working. From our perspective, it looks like a meltdown. God is in control. How dare they arrest you guys? How dare they drag you into the courtroom? Nonetheless, the supreme courtroom of the land. How dare they do that? God is in control. Boy, we need to be reminded of that. People have and they will continue to rise against God's rule. The nations do rage. And that's where we remind ourselves that God's sovereign hand is over all things. Secondly, they make a request. But notice that it's not, it's not for deliverance here. And it's not for a, fo a force field of protection, the hedge of protection. They're not praying that. No, those are great things to pray for. Nor are they praying that the government just, Lord, may the government just lay off Remove those people from power, put these people in, and just make everything better so that we can just flourish. They're not praying for that either. No, they simply pray that God will allow them to speak his word boldly and to continue the work powerfully in the name of Jesus. See, they, they sovereignly get God opened their eyes to what his will was for them. 
You're going to receive power as the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses. This is my will for you. So what do they do? They pray in Jesus' name and according to his will. And they say, Lord, you are sovereign. Lord, may you give us an ever-present boldness that we might be able to even more so go out and speak as your witnesses. What is your prayer, church? Looking forward to another year. Calendar is going to turn over in a month or so. What's your prayer? What's your desire? We're voting on Tuesday. What's your prayer? Is it for new God-honoring leadership in the high places of power here in our nation? Is it for new laws that protect God's people and promote righteous living and punish what is evil? Is it for revival? Is it for healing in our land? I am right there with you on every single one. But may we also pray as the early church prayed. May we remind each other that our God is in control. And he's sovereignly working even as the nations rage. And he's bringing about his glorious plan one way or the other. Actually, it's going to be his way. (laughs) These are the last days. The great day of the Lord is drawing near. With each breath we take, it's nearer. (laughs) Thank God that the end is not dependent on us. God has got this, and yet he's also called us, hasn't he, to participate in it. And he desires to work through us, and he will work through us for his glory and the good of his people. May we pray that even in the face of the fiercest threats and the most powerful people, we may not falter and boldly and powerfully proclaiming the word of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. As the nations rage and until the kings return, may we, his witnesses, set as our vision to conduct ourselves with honor and seize the opportunities to speak truth May we obey God rather than men. And may we continually gather together to call upon his great name. Amen.